Hey there, Zach Naylor here, co-founder and CEO at Aurelius and your host for the Aurelius podcast. This week's guest is Dave Malouf, a consultant in design operations and a design leadership coach. Dave has been thinking about and helping companies understand how to operationalize design and apply design at scale. He's also part of the programming committee for Design Ops Summit, an upcoming conference all about how to define, scale, and manage design operations. Naturally, Dave and I had an in-depth conversation trying to define design ops and research ops. Dave shared his personal experience as both in-house and as a consultant, and some things he's seen work most effectively to scale and define design in organizations of all sizes. We had a chance to hear Dave answer some common questions we're hearing recently, like, what is design ops? What is research ops? And just as importantly, who and when should be thinking about these things. I think you'll be surprised to hear the answer is any company doing design and research is also doing design ops and research ops, whether they realize it or not. These topics of design ops and research ops are passionate areas for us here at Aurelius, for obvious reasons. We built our very own tool that helps UX designers, researchers, marketers, and product teams store all of their user research insights or nuggets in one place to create a central repository or database of user research knowledge. As we discussed in this episode, bringing empathy into every design and product decision comes from user research, and you can only do that effectively by being able to share and act on those insights. If that's something you want to improve with your own team and organization, you should check out Aurelius. Head over to our website for a 14-day free trial and let us know what you think. That's www.aureliuslab.com. Okay, I hope you enjoy our show with Dave Malouf. Welcome to the Aurelius Podcast, episode 30 with Dave Malouf, a consultant in design operations and a design leadership coach. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Well, let's dive right into it. I like to open things up typically uh, with asking, you know, if somebody has not yet been acquainted with who you are, Dave, maybe tell us a little bit about the work you're doing, you know, things you're thinking about, what's important to you. Um, let's see. The things I'm thinking about most is how design teams can approach their maximum potential to create value for the organizations for which they design for and with. Okay. So that's what I think the most about on a regular daily basis. Sure. Um, how's that for keeping it light? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's too easy. Let's dig into something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also am thinking about how to teach and grow designers. Um, it's a big part of what I do on a day-to-day. And yeah, those, those are probably the two biggest things I think about on a day-to-day. Okay, excellent. Well, let's go back to the first part of how you answered that. Um, thinking a lot about how designers create more value for the companies they work for. That's something that's very important to me as well. And I know that we've discussed it pretty good length with uh, other folks and other guests we've had on the show. You recently wrote a piece about research ops. 
as part of yes. the design ops handbook in um with envision right correct i suspect that that's uh that's part of creating that value for an organization yeah yes tell us a little bit more about that <laughs> um so in my um in my duties and previous lives of leading design organizations of uh, not only have I realized that there's a big need to think operationally about the design organization, but since design for a from a UX perspective is so tied to research, it was really there were just these constant recurring issues that needed to have that demanded to have an operational eye put towards them. Um, many of which impact the design directly or the product or however you want to um, talk about like what, what the output is, what the outcomes are. But a big part of it is just the mundane issues of research. Mm -hmm. So uh, probably the number one issue I hear from design organizations that are doing their own research and they don't have separate researchers is we have no idea how to recruit. And whenever they start recruiting, they get totally overwhelmed and they've completely under budgeted resources, time and, and money um, for doing so. And that just sort of, is like that first obvious place of operations. Mm -hmm. Hey, we got to operationalize recruiting. Oh, that's a really easy thing for us to understand as operations. And just a point of clarification there, Dave, you are talking about recruiting users or customers for research, correct? Yes. Cool. Good clarifier. Um, and, and so that became like the first bit. The second bit was really inspired by uh, a talk with my partner in crime in design operations content creation, Lou Rosenfeld. And um, he did a talk a few years ago for me, and, and I mean, it was something he was going around the world talking about, but he talked about the parable of the elephant and the blind monks and how the enterprise or the organization is the elephant the context where the work gets done is the elephant and that the monks are all of these parts of the organization who all think that they know what the organization or what the context is, but no one monk can see what the other monk is feeling or touching or smelling. Right. Mm -hmm. And this idea of a large enterprise or a large scale organization having so many moving parts that even if they had research formalized, the research would start to become siloed. And whether that's just the difference between market research and user research and quantitative analytics, like that's the easy way of thinking about it. But then you also have back office research, front office research, um, research by product, right? If you have a suite of products or a platform of products, um, there's so many ways to split this, this thing. And 
the insights are just not being shared or not even being found. Like the synthesis is based on incomplete data because none of the sources are communicating with each other. So this idea came about in a couple of organizations I've been in of creating a research hub, like this idea of having a place where not just where data get, goes, but where data becomes found. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the really important thing, that the people who are doing synthesis for their thing are able to do that with as much of a complete data set as possible um, from as many valid kinds of sources as possible. Uh, and that's where I sort of began like really getting into the idea and started formalizing in my mind this idea of research ops as something separate from design operations. Got it. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there for a moment, but even just backing up, it sounds like addressing, you know, on, on the surface, um, research ops here is, is uh, addressing some of the operational pain points that researchers encounter. And the first one, at least for you, uh, w- that was obvious is, Hey, recruiting, it's uh, it's kind of a pain in the ass, right? Like, let's just call it what it's it is. A, it's a total pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And enterprises especially always find ways to make it as difficult as possible. It's just amazing how difficult they try to make it. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we, we are talking about research ops now, and we're both in the UX world. Um, and you, uh, those of us in the UX world sure do love to design or I'm sorry, sure do love to define things. So let's just let's just ask that question. What is research ops? I'll answer it the same way I answered design ops, if you will, that there is there are for the practices of research processes, methods, and craft that exist. Um, and I know craft is not usually thrown around in terms of research, but um, I do. Um, Mm -hmm. but let's just even say process and methods. That's usually something that researchers love to talk about. That to me is like the research. What operations are always are those elements outside of the actual practice that are required to support the practice to happen. So an example of that would be like, um, recruiting services, right? Or Mm. having tracking databases of of possible subjects Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um like all that is helping the recruitment happen uh in one way shape or form and you need recruitment in order to do research right so that's sort of like an easy operational thing to just sort of talk about um and the other side is making sure that the outcomes of the uh, of the processes and methods are as valuable as possible or are as successful observably or uh, or appreciably successful as possible mm-hmm. okay so it's both sides it's the in and the out if you will right? yeah yeah <laughs> um no yeah. actually i really like i really like the way that you frame that up it's the in and the out i, I think a lot of what I've read um, so far in being involved in that community has really tended to focus on the in. Um, mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that you 
brought to light that there is the out, you know, uh, turning that into, and I think this is what you very much mean in turning that into value for the organization. Because it's one thing to make that work efficient, you know, maybe the in, quote unquote. Yep. But the out, that's very tough. And in fact, uh, for a long time, I believe those of us doing a lot of user research, customer research, design research, whatever you'd like to call it, have been finding ways to find efficiencies in our processes. Uh, but we've struggled in that out part, right? And there's still, mm-hmm. it's still pretty stuck in things that we were doing 10, 15 years ago. And I think it's time for that to change. Definitely. I mean, but it, it's, it's an old, it's an old question. Um, so the way that the question used to be asked is, um, how do you present your, how do you present your research findings in a way that's accessible to your stakeholders? Right. Right. Like to me that that's the first out, that's the first layer of out. Right. Um, now it's sort of like, okay, I've presented it to them, but then what? Mm-hmm. Or all I've done is presented my research, but my research is just the trunk of the elephant. Or well, how do I get the ears, tusk, body, feet, tail, whatever, into the mix as well is also really, is also the other important aspect of it. And you also can start talking about research operations from the point of view of how do you integrate non-researchers, non-designers into your research process? Because as we've learned, the more you integrate the entire team into the research process, into the customer contact points, or in, especially into the synthesis itself, they start co-creating the stories that you know, have the personas as actors and the journeys involved. And then they become as invested as you are in the success of actualizing those future stories to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the empathy travels, if you, to be cliche about it, right? Um, But it really is that, like, that's that's part of the out as well as the in, because they're happening at the same time when you do it that way. Yeah. I'm actually really glad that you brought up the mention of integrating it um, with other people that are not necessarily on the research team as a means to extend it to other areas of the business. Because one of the things that I was sort of curious to hear your take on is, you know, should only researchers or designers be doing research ops or design ops? Well, so the way that I started framing research ops into an actual role um was in my last job where we didn't have research yet in the organization and we catapulted like just leaps grew by leaps and bounds the design team and the, it was a product design kind of organization and they loved research as designers they they gobbled it up and they were great at it and and love to do it and we're very inclusive with the product management and engineering teams but we started to notice that you know whether it was recruitment or whether it was scheduling or everything else like it just um the operational side of it started to not scale and so we finally got a role to bring in 
and we were very intentional about this person being a top-notch researcher, right? Mm -hmm. You know, someone who has a broad range of research methods in their toolkit, experience, experience processes, both agile and waterfall and, and everything in between. And they, their job was to empower user-centered design through the whole organization. And so part of it was just straight up evangelism. Okay. The second part of it, there were three parts the way I talked about the job. So one part was evangelism and um, the sec and coaching and teaching as, as an evangelistic tool. The second part was running and owning the design operations. And what was meant by that was they would pick and choose the tools and teach people how to use them. They would uh, organize data collection systems and organize data output systems. And they would also do, they would create and manage the system for uh, subject management, both getting them in and recruiting them, but also managing them from an enterprise perspective where you don't keep hitting the same people or the same companies too many times, just to make sure you're getting that kind of diversity. And then the last thing was we had this notion of three layers of research. So going from the bottom, which is kind of like validative research, evaluative research, mm -hmm. and then above that would be what we would call product level or um, contact level generative research. And then above that was foundational, which was kind of like systemic understanding, nice. right? Nice. So the, the person mm -hmm. who we hired wouldn't be doing the first two layers. That would be for the product designers and the product organization to own with the help and coaching of that first researcher we hired. But the researcher would also be doing um, and leading and co-leading um, the foundational uh, research, that understanding layer um, through various parts of the organization. And so they had those three roles. And then eventually, as they as we started to scale research, we would eventually get another researcher to come in who would supplement some of those operational positions and take on some of the foundational research on some of the coaching responsibilities um, as well. And that was sort of how we were going to start scaling research thinking about it operationally. So your original question was like around who can do design ops or research ops. Mm -hmm. And the, the answer is like, when I answer that question a lot for design ops, the answer are people who understand the ecosystem and running of, and the value proposition of design. Right. These are yeah. probably people who have been actively engaged in designing in their career, but probably for various reasons went in other directions or have other strengths that pull them away from the active um the active tactical designing activity and more towards the operational side, more towards the system of designing side. So you end up with a lot of people who are 
um, really good at project management. They fall into roles of program management and because they've had experience in design at some point in their careers, um, they're sort of like, hey, I'm a project manager of designers because I understand the design world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, or they end up being program managers is the other term. And then there are other people who are just like really impassioned about the discipline itself. And they come at it more as like a community of practice. And that, I would say that's where I come from in terms of how I think about design ops mm-hmm. is like, I think about growing people and connecting people and making the practice like from a discipline perspective as strong as possible. And that's like my root or my primary lens that I move from when I think about design operations where other people are thinking more about the workflow mechanics mm-hmm. of the system. Mm-hmm. And you can apply all of this equally to research as well, right? Like these, these lenses move across all of those, all of those different um, practice avenues. And then the, the third lens is people who are really good at relationships and seeing the system. And they usually have a really good sense. Of, they usually fall into the business operations lens. Mm-hmm. And they're, these are like emissaries of the design team. These are people who, you know, can, can convince HR and procurement and uh, to do what they need, work with legal and finance to get what they need for the team to be successful. They're real relationship people in that regard. And they're also really good communicators, both internal to the team and external team uh, beyond. And so in one way, shape, or form, your design operations is going to start from one of those lenses and grow into the other two lenses that you didn't start from. And either you grow that because the person who is starting it takes on those skill sets through discovery, or the person starting it realizes, I don't have those skill sets. I need to partner with people who do and that's where a design operations organization kind of grows from got it okay that makes a ton of sense and you know the stories that that you just shared too even from your experience at your last role really kind of sounded to me like this uh the catalyst for design ops and subsequently research ops at that company was growth uh there was a need to grow the team and then you know, as that happens, you just introduce growing, growing pains, right? And the problems that are associated with that, in which design ops happen to solve. Yeah. That leads me to the question then, Dave, is, is design ops and research ops, is this something everybody should be thinking about? Is this something everybody should be focused on? Or is this only for sort of growing companies or, or companies that are already at that scale? Um. I'm asked this question a lot, like, when do you start design ops? And I have been approached by organizations that have about 100 designers, and they're just thinking about this. Wow. I have been approached by an organization of 30 designers most recently, and they're like, oh, my God, we're drowning. We need this. Mm-hmm. Um, and things in between, right? Um, scale is definitely the question that 
is, is definitely the trigger that drives this. But scale has a lot of components, and the number of people is only one of them. So the other components is how complex your system is, or what's the scale of complexity of your system. The next component that kind of drives it is what is the scale of the, not the system of your product or service, but the system of your organizational workflow, if you will, or your product lifecycle. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And um, that's awesome. And it's a segue into something uh, that I was thinking about then as you were talking about that complexity of problems and how do those things scale? I mean, because that could be true, uh, let's say, with a relatively small company of, say, two designers, right? Five mm-hmm. designers. I mean, that, th- those, those can be challenges present even in that sort of environment, right? Yeah. So I think like one of the ways that I might answer the question, like, when do you start or does everyone need to start is let's say I'm a startup and I'm really conscious about headcount. Well, one of the ways that I've dealt with that is almost an operational solution. I've made my hiring decisions based on I'm going to hire unicorn designer researchers, programmers all in one, right? Like that's a decision. That's an operational decision to get possibly more value out of out of it than what you might think you get if you hire differently. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and it also it, it gave me the thought as you were describing that where maybe what you know what you're suggesting here, at least certainly what I'm starting to think, is that design ops and research ops is an ever-present need, you know, how much of it, it's kind of like seasoning. <laughs> how big is the recipe, right? How much of it really depends on, as you mentioned, sometimes the scale, sometimes the complexity of the things you're working on you know, and the combination thereof. But this is actually something that perhaps all of us as people in the UX or product fields should be thinking about and should be doing at some scale. Now, whether that's very tiny or very large depends on, you know, your situation and your company. Right. Got it. We nailed it. Well, then we can just we can just end there. We figured it out. We figured it totally out. I mean, it's done. Cool. Well, then in <laughs> the that case, what else should we talk to be about? Done company. It needs to be done company by company. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's and that's where I was kind of. That's why I made the statement I did is because it made me believe that basically. Anybody who is in a stated or unstated leadership position now for design mm-hmm. which, which would include research as well presumably ought to be doing this right right it's sort of recognizing which button and levers um you should activate given your scale at, the, at this point in time correct yeah i mean i think that like if you're a manager of three that manager is doing the design ops already Right. Like they're just doing that. And the question is, is like, when do you make it an organization? Yeah. Right. Yes. That's I love that. I love that distinction. I think that that's really important. Please continue. <laughs> um, you know, it's like your design ops exists, whether you are like whether you are intentional about it or not. Right. Like it's sort of like your design exists 
whether you designed it or not. <laughs> it's sort of the same kind of thing. Like it, it's there is a user experience because a user is experiencing it. Right. Yeah, exactly. That was actually the that was the uh, the old analogy that I was going to give as well. Is that your users are having experience whether you designed it or not. Uh, and you're, yeah, you're going to be tackling design ops challenges, whether you're intentional about that or not, because as we even sort of started on this, uh, recruiting sucks. And so you're going to be figuring out <laughs> ways to do that. You're a human being. You have, at least the majority of us have uh, a great aversion to pain and, um, and adversity. So we're just going to figure out ways to, to solve that, right? Exactly. Exactly. Got it. Yep. Okay. Let's then shift focus a little bit then to this, this idea of making designers better, growing designers. You, mm -hmm. It was a parallel I'd like to draw, and, and you tell me if you think it's fair. You, you talked about levels of sort of maturity and need in research ops. In, yeah, in the very same in design ops. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm wondering, does that then exist for you, in the way that you would describe growing a designer um, and sort of helping them, you know, move, move through some progression. I would hope that anyone in any kind of practice um, matures over time, uh, becomes better, <laughs> for lack of a, a better term. Um, you know, I think they would want to and and do, do grow if given the opportunity to um and and given the support and tools and to be successful and i think that's sort of where that part of operations comes in it's it starts from the from the recruiting all the way straight through to how we decide to or not to develop the people who are in our employer or under our care, uh, as the, as leaders of those people. Mm -hmm. Um, and from a career perspective in the organizations I've worked for, I've usually developed some kind of ladder for lack of a better term. I think, uh, Peter Merholtz and, and Christian Skinner call it a lattice, not a ladder. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it's the same thing. It's like you, you're, you can go sideways. Sometimes that's the right way to go. And that would be an example of like moving into an operational role, for example, or a program management role, or that's a sideways move um, that might make sense for some people. Um, you know, right now I uh, teach at General Assembly and it's really clear sometimes which students are going to be designers and which one are really going to focus on research in their career even before they do. <laughs> um, they just have certain strengths and weaknesses that point them in that direction. Um, and they, they usually end up that way by the end of the class. Um, Interesting. So that's another way of just making sure you're setting people up for success, which is setting people up to draw upon their strengths, not just climb up the hill, pushing the stone against their weaknesses. Right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's another part of that. Got it. Okay. Um, you know, I, something I'm curious about, particularly given this is the work that you're focused on now, right? I mean, consultant in design operations and uh, design leadership coaching. Mm -hmm. 
what are the things that people are struggling with most often that they that they might often you know call you in and ask to help with it's pretty interesting i think most young leaders in anything but i'd say more so outside of the business world so like if there's not an nba equivalent or an nba part of it leadership skills aren't taught a lot for people mm-hmm. and they may have leadership qualities they may have a mindset of leadership that gravitates them towards that role i've even had some people who were repulsed by leadership who became excellent leaders later uh, because they didn't stay they saw themselves differently than the way people were seeing them and I find that this combination of self-awareness and tooling are what I end up working with people the most on. And self-awareness is is something that's really important for people to have if they're going to grow in any way at all. And then tools just make sense. So I'll, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've had from one of my coaches is you are as good a leader as the tools that you use. And those tools aren't Photoshop and Azure or whatever, Sketch, whatever. Those tools are frameworks. Um, Those tools are canvases. Those tools are um, guideposts and lessons that that are, you know, used and useful as you engage teams of people and relationships and things like that. And the most successful leaders that I have had the pleasure to work with are ones that are very framework oriented and they're very transparent about the frameworks that they're using and teach people who they are leading the frameworks that they're using along the way. I love that. I I love very much the fact that you address head on this unnecessary focus on tools as a tan the tangible things mm-hmm. uh and and their sort of lack their sort of lack of importance with regard to um being a great design leader mm-hmm. i think that's great oh, yeah. excellent um so Dave, I I realize we're coming up towards the end of our time, and I want to be respectful of that for you. We've covered a lot of ground here so far. Um, but one of the things I like to ask towards the end of each episode now is, let's say you know somebody whacked me on the head and I got temporary amnesia and I forgot everything that we talked about. What's the one salient most important point that you think folks should take away from our discussion today? That's really hard to sum up. Um, Big, big chunk of silence. So be as intentional with your design, research, product, 
teams as you would with the people who you're designing for. And you will only be able to be more effective at designing for them by doing so. Awesome. One of the, one of the, just to expand on that point, one of the ways I talk about design operations is design operations is the service design of your of your design organization. That's a great right? point. And, you know, it's the back office, and even then, some of the work that I've done talks about how your design operations has a front and a back as well um, that you get to think about in terms of the service organization. And so, yeah, be intentional. Awesome. I love that. While difficult, I think you did a wonderful job at it, answering <laughs> that you. question. Okay. Um, again, this has been awesome, and I'm quite sure that we can go for, uh, for quite some more time discussing these things as they were important to uh, both you and I. But again, I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with people listening today that we didn't have a chance to cover in our chat? Sure. Uh... If you are really interested in design ops and research ops and are looking to connect with people who are on the forefront of defining or exploring the boundaries of this space, then I encourage you to come to the Design Ops Summit happening in New York uh, this coming November. Seven, eight, and nine. Um, we've done a really intentional job of having a pretty strong research ops component uh, next to the design ops that that is also the primary focus of the conference. So we definitely see these things, these tan, these two things working parallel with each other, interlocked uh, with each other at the same time. Um. The other thing I talk about is if you have questions or needs or just want to know where to start, um, contact me, um, you know, uh, or if you want to read more of my stuff, um, you can find me, uh, most of my writings on medium, medium.com slash amplify dash design is where I write about design ops the most. And if you go there, you can probably find out how best to connect with me in other ways. Awesome. We'll make sure we have links to both of those, uh, particularly as we have had Lou as a guest on our show before. And we, uh, we like to consider our friends, our, ourselves friends of, you know, the things that, um, that you folks are doing over there for the design ops and research ops community. So. We'll have links to those in the show notes where you can find Dave and his writings. Uh, again, I want to say thank you to Dave Maloof for joining us as a guest on our show this time. And um, that's all we have. That's, that's all she wrote. We will see you next time. All right. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a rating on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to our podcast. And also, you can fill out our podcast survey where you can let us know if someone awesome that we should have on the show and even tell us about the things you would want to hear about, topics that are interesting for you. You can check that out in the show notes or on our website. Thanks for listening to the Aurelius Podcast. 
the show where we talk with brilliant minds about user research, UX design, and building great products that meet the needs of real people and what you learned about them. Aurelius is a user research and insights tool for design and product teams. Aurelius helps you add, tag, organize, search, and share all of your user research notes and customer feedback insights to figure out what you learned faster and easier than ever before so you can make awesome designs, products, and features. Check us out for a free trial at AureliusLab.com. That is A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. Or find us on Twitter at AureliusLab. We'll see you next time. Thank you.